Welcome back to Art Matters. I'm your host, Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. We live on the internet at artuk.org and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at artuk.org. You'll need to spell out the word dot for our social channels. We have a hashtag for this podcast if you'd like to talk to us. It's hashtag Art Matters Podcast. We also ask that you rate and subscribe to this podcast. It's a little thing that you can do that makes a very big difference to us. With this series, we like to have taster discussions on the intersections between art and popular culture. Today's conversation might get a little bit colorful because we're talking about artists' relationships with color. Joining me is artist Stuart Semple. Stuart is an innovative artist whose work has been shown at galleries in New York, London, and Hong Kong. He also curated an exhibition in 2011 at the Old Vic Tunnels featuring works by Tracy Emin, Matt Kolashaw, and others to support mental health. In 2016, he released his Pinkest Pink Pigment for sale to almost any artist and has since released a very black black as well. Thanks for joining me, Stuart. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to be. So excited to have you. At the beginning of these uh, episodes, we like to introduce the topic in a kind of general way. So I guess that a good starting point would be asking where your passion for colour began for you. Yeah, I think the strongest memory I have of colour was when I was about seven or eight, my mum took me to London to see the National Gallery. And I just remember seeing Van Gogh's sunflowers and it just made a com- just an immense impact on me and from that point I, I fell in love with colour and I fell in love with art and I fell in love with pain and it just kind of hasn't stopped. Is there a particular colour in his sunflowers painting or the whole thing or? You know I think it's just the overall vibrancy and the potency of it and it was at the end of this kind of quite dull room and it just kind of shone like nothing I'd seen before I think it was just the combination of it it just kind of resonates somehow that painting yeah it's interesting too because on a recent episode um of this podcast we were talking about our artist who had synesthesia and Van Gogh was on that list of artists that he potentially had a connection between color and music sure. so it's interesting that he would stand out to you as as someone who kind of triggered your interest in colors yeah yeah it is yeah that's powerful so is there is there like a historical relationship between painters and color that that you can think of? Well, of course, I think um not just painters, but I mean art in general. I mean the first things we made as a species really are drawings on cave walls which are colored pigments put on rocks which tell us where we were and what we did and what we're up to and I think from that point, we've kind of expanded in what we paint about and the materials that we use. But I think um, people doing that is a really ancient and important thing. And I think we've always been obsessed with um, how we can extract colours from the natural world and, and and make it make sense in art. I guess it's interesting that, um, for example, you're an artist who not only loves color, but has now gone on to make colors. So I wonder, is there a history of that with artists as well in terms of making the colors that they're using? I mean, there's a, there's a very rich history, actually. And in fact, artists making not making their own colors is quite a new phenomenon with uh, commercially available paints and paints in tubes and that kind of thing. So traditionally, artists would have to make their own paints and they'd have to source their own ingredients and their own colours. And, 
you know, back in the day, you'd have to know where what they called colour men were and how they traded these pigments along kind of the trade routes of the Silk Road and everything. And artists would get these pigments and colours and their studio would help them make up batches of paint that, you know, they would store them in kind of pig's bladders and things before um, before they made tubes. And, um you know, it's it's a rich it's a rich rich history that um, we've been disconnected from a bit by commercial paint making. I think. I wonder how long a a mix of paint can last inside of a pig's bladder. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> what it's got in there. Not not very long from what I from what I hear. I think I think they mixed up mixed up batches and had to use it pretty quick. Yeah, and I would think that color like pigments would be quite expensive at that time as well. So it's a very expensive thing to do to decide to sit down and mix up a color and then not use it all I would think oh it really was and I think um you know particularly some of the pigments sort of lapis lazuli and uh, things like that was so expensive and and really that's why if you look at the history of art um you know that purple is often associated with very or, or, or rich blues with very royal or important paintings because they literally cost a fortune to make I mean these are almost precious jewels in their day right something that i wonder a normal person looking at a painting in that time would they even know oh this is very rich because this has purple in it at the time or is that really just something that an artist would know to themselves i think um at that time you know paintings were a lot more important in a way than they are now i mean they were held in high esteem you know you'd go to a church or the medicis would have them or whatever so i think people really had a reverence towards them so they would look extremely precious and extremely valuable and i think almost like the sort of hollywood special effects of their day people would go and see these and be like wow look at that so i i think i think they did look expensive i mean people like michelangelo had huge budgets to play with well, gosh, yeah. And so at his time, he would be mixing his own pigments as well. I'm just, when you said Michelangelo, I started to think about uh, the Sistine Chapel or something like mixing up the paints or something like that. It's not something I'd ever really thought about. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, but he got it wrong the first time and the whole thing went moldy. Oh, did it? And, and fell off. And he had to do it again. Um, because he didn't remember from when he was a student how to actually paint on plaster, how to do a fresco like that. He, he got his mixture wrong. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, Can you imagine having to repaint something as massive as that? I know. Yeah, it was a complete stitch up. He wasn't supposed to be able to do it. The whole point was um, they set him an impossible task. And um, he actually pulled it off, which is amazing, given that he's not even a painter. Right. Well, yeah, I guess maybe that his primary um, uh, uh, medium was, was sculpture. Sure. And, and in those days, sculpture was a lot more important than painting. Painting was a secondary art. So it was like, I'm a sculptor. I'm important. Painters were like uh, a bit lower down the pecking order. So... So with colour, I know that there are some artists who have had particular relationships with colour. For example, Eve Klein and the Marjorelle Blue and that sort of thing. Are there other artists that come to mind for you as to having particular relationships with particular colours? Yeah, th th there's lots. I think, um, you know, when you talk about things coming out from the black, 
you talk about Caroscuro, you talk about Lombardia artists, you talk about Caravaggio, you think about how Goya uses black, but then you get things like Rauschenberg made some really interesting works about white and the removal of all colour, the removal of all art. He took it back to the basics. Um, Warhol made massive inroads in colour use. The Impressionists, you know, they actually dealt with light and colour. They made work about the effect of light and colour. Malevich's Black Square, really important. Um, what is the attraction with black, do you think? I think black is um, its almost a non-colour. It's like a zero point. It is no light. It is no colour. It kind of symbolises nothing. It's like the starting point of art, you know. So when you went to set about making your blackest black, can you tell us a little bit about how you even go to mix a pigment because this is really interesting and then mm. also um maybe what the fascination is with very flat black blacks yeah for sure um i'll deal with the first part of it so how, how on earth do you go about making something like yes. that um the the truth is i didn't know so i made a version of black and we shared it with a community of a thousand artists from all over the world. And they gave us feedback on it. And they told me how to create a better black than the one I made. So um, in a lot of ways, I didn't make it. A group of about a thousand artists made it. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. I can't sort of take the glory for making it. Um, but um, I can tell you how we went about it. I decided I wanted to use an acrylic paint because acrylics are relatively new. We've only had them since the 50s. And that technology has expanded massively in what acrylics able to do in, in terms of what, what um, the acrylic substance is. It, is. it is something that holds pigment, you know, it binds pigment into a paint. And um, that's got better very recently in as much as there are much more open acrylics now. And by that, I mean they hold more pigment than other acrylics. So what we did is we actually developed a acrylic resin that holds more pigment than any other acrylic resin. And that's really the secret of how the paint works. It can hold more black pigment than any other paint. And then the other thing that we did is we were looking for something that would reflect almost no light, something super flat and ultra matte. So we reached out to the cosmetics industry who were playing with um, what they call mattifiers, which yes. um, stop things being reflective, your skin for selfies, etc. And we added that into the formula. And um, what we got was a paint with 10 times more pigment than any other paint and really, really good mattifiers. And in the end, we got a black that absorbs an awful lot of light. And um, it's really cool stuff. You mentioned um, black, the attraction there being kind of the, the I guess, if, depending on if you're talking about color or light, the presence of all colors or the absence of all color. But what is the attraction with the matte element so that it looks, you know, doesn't reflect any light? I think um, the idea of an ultra matte is almost more of a conceptual one, you know. It, it kind of sends things all the way back. You could paint a 3d object and it would almost look 2d because there'd be like no light reflecting on the edges or the shape and i think that's really 
attractive and quite useful to a lot of artists who haven't really been able to do that before. I mean, it's useful to be able to flatten something. We've had varnishes for a long time that mean we can make things super shiny. But pushing the other end of that, the, the sort of ultra matte end, it's amazing how little work has actually been done on it. Right. Um, and it seems to be like quite a relatively new kind of trend. And I'm seeing it in colour across the board. There's definitely a movement towards people who have matte cars now, which we never really saw. Yeah. Matte jewellery, matte. You know, I think maybe there's a fashion or something towards matter surfaces. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. There's, there's definitely a makeup trend for that, like you said, which I guess it lined up serendipitously with, with your efforts. Mm. So um, with the pinkest pink, what? why pinkest pink? And are, will there be yellowest yellows and, and so on and so forth? Well, there, there's already a yellow, a blue and a green. Yeah, um, there's a yellowest yellow and, and a bluest blue, etc. There's a yellowest yellow, a greenest mm-hmm. green, but the blue isn't the bluest blue, it's the loveliest blue. Okay. Um, because, <laughs> because, um, there's already really, really good blues, but the reason for making all four colours was to give people the potential to mix them because once you have all four of those colours, you actually have the potential to make a coloriest colour palette, um, which is something that I really wanted to do. So it started with the pink, and now there's four um, of those colours. How do you decide on the shades? And be, because pink, there's so many shades of pink. So how do you decide which pink is the pinkest? Okay. Um, well, it's a subjective thing, yeah. you know, and, and I think there's a bit of humour in calling something the pinkest pink because it's not something that you can really measure. I mean, you sort of could take a scientific approach to it, but in a way it's me kind of poking fun at the over-scientifying of art. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm saying we can just look at it and kind of trust our senses and instincts. And, you know, there's nobody who's written to me who's used the pink who said they've seen a pinker pink. And um, I've explored a lot of pink paint over the last couple of decades and it's a really really pink pink well I I feel like someone would almost have to be trying to find a pinker pink if if they come to the point of emailing you I've found it you know I'd love to see it (laughs) so what has has the feedback been from the artist community with these with these colors they're gorgeous and very affordable as well so it's it's accessible to a lot of artists Yeah, I think that was the big thing. I wanted to make them accessible. And I was kind of uh, making these things anyway and sourcing these ingredients for my own work. And I just got to a point where I was thinking, why don't I just share them and make them available to everyone rather than just sort of of keep them to myself? If I'm going to make these things, why can't everybody use them? So that's what I did. And um, to answer your second question, people seem to really like them. There's some amazing work being made. And um every morning like my routine is to check instagram and there's a hashtag share the black and i go on there and i can see all the amazing work and it just sort of makes my day to see all these artists i've never met making great stuff and there's a real community growing out of it and i think it's really beautiful yeah it is nice it's nice to see people taking a part in in something that you've kind of helped to create but also helping you to create that at the same time yeah, exactly. And um, it's definitely a two-way dialogue. And, 
you know, they they we, we keep in good touch with everyone that uses the stuff, and they're always giving me hints on what to make next, or asking me if I could make such and such a thing, or would it be possible to do something else? And because of that, I think we've made some really amazing materials. And the sweet thing about it is the way everyone who's using the art materials tends to support one another. It's really sweet on Instagram where you see an artist helping another artist use the materials to make something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just a beautiful thing. So I guess as a last question, I'm wondering if if someone wanted to kind of start exploring more about the relationships between art and painting and that sort of thing, is there an artist or two that you would recommend that people look through their works and say, oh, definitely start here? Okay, yeah. Um, I think you start with Matisse. I do love Matisse. I do love Matisse. I think you start with Matisse, and I think Matisse's snail that they have at the Tate is a wonderful way into starting to explore the relationship between artists and colour and maybe image making as well. I think that's a good suggestion. I think because his use of colour was so, um, well, at the time, um, seen as being a bit garish, um, but I I really love it. It's an un- he, he has such an unusual use of colour that really just gives everything new life. So I think that's a really great suggestion. Yeah, and, and again, it's quite musical. So yeah. I think I think for for a newbie starting out, start with Matisse. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your for your time today and talking to me about color and um, kind of hopefully piquing everyone's interest a bit to go digging a bit about the history of pigment and and the relationships between art and artists and painting. Mm. Um, If anyone would like more information about Stuart's work or anything that we've discussed today, please visit artuk.org slash about slash art dash matters. There'll be images, info, and a brief survey that we'd love for you to fill out. Thanks again for listening today, and we hope you'll join us next time. 